want anything from the shop? You've just been to the shop. Thinking of a different shop. Constable Butterman, this is not the time for personal errands. Well, there's nothing going on, is there? There is always something going on. You have to look closer, all right? What about this guy? Mr. Treacher? Yeah, why has he got that big coat on? Can't be cold. Why the extra layer? Maybe he's trying to hide something. Mr. Treacher? OK, what about this guy? Ask yourself, why has he got his hat pulled down like that? He's fuck ugly. Or he doesn't want you to see his face. Because he's fuck ugly. What shot were you thinking of? After a long hiatus, so. Oh, yeah, terribly long hiatus. It's been a long time since we recorded. <laughs> Too long, like yesterday. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Peek behind the curtain, people. We actually recorded uh, the last cast and uh, this one within about 24 hours, so. Yeah, it's a jumbo month, basically. So we're, uh, we're, we're packing it all together. It's uh, it's it's our way of just keeping everything flowing. So uh, I think every once in a while we'll probably have a month like this, you know. And I think the two week thing really works better for us. But uh, it's 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 just fun to pack and bunch into a month. It's going to help because December will probably wind up being a lighter month due to some obvious reasons. Oh yeah, I think the one uh, specific one we have planned for that month, we are going to record way ahead of time. Yeah. Just because we won't be able to. Yeah, weddings are hard, people. Weddings are hard. <laughs> hard and expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, uh, that's that's all in the future. I'll, uh, I'll let you take it away. Okay. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite directors. I think one of yours, too. Edgar Wright! Absolutely. Yes. I didn't really know who Edgar Wright was until Hot Fuzz. I was a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead before then, so I didn't really know who the director was until I saw Hot Fuzz, thought the title sounded a little pornographic, and then figured out it was the same guys who did Shaun of the Dead and got really excited. Uh, so yeah, needless to say, uh, Shaun of the Dead was my first exposure to the guy. What was your first exposure? Same thing. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, which was... After all, that was his directorial debut, and uh, it's important to note, Space did not make it over to the United States until after Hot Fuzz. There, it's funny, because uh, there had to be some massive pirating going on before it would make it over here. There was, that was how I saw it. I mean, I I did my fair share that, like, I, I got all the episodes off YouTube, and it finally came out on DVD over here, uh, with all the bells and whistles. Like, that's, that's also a cool thing about Edgar Wright is that the editions of his movies and TV shows that come out over here are sometimes better than the editions that come out over in the UK. They do that, yeah. He, uh, he, he sees to it that his video releases are really well put together. Oh, yeah. Like, I think uh, when Space came out, it was all one set. It had a third disc, and it had bonus commentaries with, like, guest commentators, like Quentin Tarantino. Patton Oswalt was on one. Like, people that don't necessarily have to do with the series, but they just like to chat with people they admire who are fans of the series. Hot Fuzz got like a bare bones release over here. Like, I guess only Walmart carried the second disc version, so Edgar's like, well, that's just bullshit. So he put out like the ultimate Hot Fuzz DVD edition. And it is weird to think that, yeah, Walmart put out an edition that was essentially the UK edition ported over. Yeah, pretty much. It's real, but it was an awesome edition. Yeah, I actually own the like, because the DVD edition is so awesome, I hesitate to replace it with a Blu-ray copy, even though it probably has all the same stuff, because the 
Hot Fuzz DVD is just amazing. Uh, it has three discs, and when you when you take it out of the thing, instead of folding out horizontally, it folds out vertically, so it looks like the police notebook. Good. It's it's cool. But yeah, we're kind of bouncing around here. Uh, Edgar Wright, as maybe you know, is a British director. He uh, got his TV debut. I forgot what the first, like the series before Space was called. That takes place in an asylum. I think Edgar Wright directed most of it. It has some Simon Pegg and Jessica Hines. I think it's the uh, Inver. Hines Stevenson. Yeah, she hyphenates it. But yeah, the first big series was Spaced, which was written by Simon Pegg and Jessica Hines Stevenson and uh, directed by Edgar Wright. 14 episodes of pure genius. Like, it's unlike anything you will ever see on TV. It's very rare for a TV director to have a clear style... Even in the oh, UK, God, yeah. you don't see those directors having like a really distinct, clear style. Even the TV directors that have gone on to films that I like, uh, Joss Whedon, for example, Whedon doesn't have a particular style. It's his writing that you listen for, but it's not his visual style. Wright was a visual stylist when we would go on that show. Oh, yeah. There's included on that Hot Fuzz uh, Ultimate DVD uh, is his first, or one of his first shorts that he did. Just, he shot it on the video. It's like the prototype of that style. Like, he doesn't quite have the uh, energy of his style now. The whip pans are still there. The short is called Dead Right. He made it in, like, 1993. Police! You bastard! You crazy bastard! You can't shoot a man without giving a warning shot! I did fire a warning shot, and it hit you. And I'm just gonna make a couple of points about space, but, you know, in terms of visual style, that I think they're so interesting about it. It's, it's very cut-heavy. Most TV shows, you know, the camera stays put, and it doesn't do anything. No, in his, the camera is always doing something. There's a static shot, get ready for a massive cut that will come. There's a restlessness about it. It's, it's very high energy, very spirited. Yeah, very edit heavy. I guess that's probably why he's... Like, I wouldn't hesitate to say that he is my favorite director. Sorry, Tarantino. But just just every everything I watch from him is just pure joy all the way through. Yeah, the edits are what make it great. Like, it, he has it full of effects, and yeah, he loads it with the cheap horror effects. I mean, it's... Like all the blood splatters and everything that you come to expect if you've seen any of the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy movies. Yeah, which are... Oh, we're going to Asylum is the name of that first TV series. I had six episodes. I've never seen any of it, so... I haven't either. I've just seen clips. I'm sure it's on. I'm sure it's out there. Oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Spaced had two seasons. One in 1999, one in 2001. It's very funny stuff. It's very British. It's very geek-heavy. Uh, there's a lot of geek references. The Phantom Menace was 18 months ago, Tim. I know, Bilbo. Okay, just, it still hurts. You know, that kid wanted a Jar Jar doll. Kids like Jar Jar. Why? What about the Ewoks? Hey, They were rubbish. You don't complain about them. Yeah, but Jar Jar Binks makes the Ewoks look like fucking Shaft. You know, 1999, while they were in production for season one, the episode one Phantom Menace trailer came out. And they saw it and made some references to it. No, Miss Tyler. We put them down. All of them. And by the time that the season actually came out, they had already seen episode one and were severely disappointed by it. It leads to some interesting subtext on the show. Um, oh yeah, especially in the second season. When uh, Peg's character's major nemesis is uh, Peter Serafinowicz, who... Oh, yes. Who played Darth Maul. Hi, Dom. Yeah. This is Dwayne Benzie. This is Dwayne, Dwayne Benzie. Benzie. That's true. I forgot about the voice. Uh, and he's he's awesome. I'm going to touch on him in a moment. Uh, I feel like I've got so many comments about uh, the next subject that I'm just like, they're bubbling over. Oh, yes. But yeah, to, to cap out Spaced. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's on Netflix. Uh, the entire series is... It's a quick watch. Uh, they wanted to use sound effects from Star Wars in the first season, but they would not let them. And then uh, by, by the time the second season rolled around and it had already gained popularity, Lucasfilm's like, yeah, you can you can use all Star Wars sound effects you want now. And they're like, we don't want them now. <laughs> but yeah, 
you know, if if you're a geek, you know, like geek culture, it's it's for you. It's good. It's it's quite good. On to the actual movies, Shaun of the Dead. I feel reasonably certain that most people that are going to be listening to this have probably seen this movie. Oh yeah. It's ten years old, it's well within our spoiler range, I think. But it's amazing to me how deeply that film has penetrated the just the world as I know it. That movie I mean, I know so many people who really passionately love it, myself included, of course. It's it's like for everybody I know who's a horror fan, they have to see it. They they know it by heart. And that's funny to me because I, I kinda wanna kick off this discussion by making an observation about Shaun of the Dead, which is do you ever watch Matthew Buck's Projector series? Like, I saw the one that you sent me on Prometheus, and I, I think I watched the I Love You Beth Cooper one and another one. He also does just plain reviews of British films and British comedies, some of them on the Bad Movie Beatdown, some of them on the Projector series. But what's interesting is how many British films don't make it over here, but do make it over there, that are British TV stars going to film and doing a comedy that's very much you know, with that crew and all that. Shaun of the Dead is no different from any one of those films that goes over there and stays there except for one little difference, and that is that the film... Came over here. Well, it, it came over here for a reason, which is that the film succeeds on every level you could ask it to succeed on. And I'm really not exaggerating on that. It's become a genre classic for a reason. The script is so good, the acting is so good, the direction is, which is after all really the big thing we're talking about, is so strong that, yeah, there's a reason that that broke over here and Keith Lemon the movie is staying in the UK. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's gonna make a first, a first time that an American podcast has referenced Keith Lemon the movie. Rest assured, I haven't seen it, I have no desire to see it. Which, which movie? Keith Lemon the movie. Look up the projector on it. It's sadly hilarious. Oh boy. Yeah, I'll, I'll post a uh, I'll post a link on the blog to that too. That's I mean that's really if you want me to cut, cut get to my thoughts on Sean that that's just it is a summary. Oh god, yeah. I remember seeing the trailer on it and being impressed with the fact that a it's a comedy and b. It's a comedy that had, like, great horror effects in it. Like, the, the zombies look great. It just looked like something that was a, a comedy, but took its subject matter seriously. And that, that just appealed to me all around. Yeah, that's something that absolutely, I think... You know, really, if you want to talk about the other thing I think really makes the film work so well, that's a big part of it, is that the movie does take the horror element very seriously. Uh, you know George A. Romero, right? Oh yeah, I, I saw the thing, uh, there's a thing on the Cracked Photoplasty yesterday where, you know, they gave shoutouts to him in Shaw the Dead, so he put uh, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright in, in his next movie, Land of the Dead. Yeah, which I did see and I did spot their cameos, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that this was such a love letter uh, to Romero's work, among others, that, I mean, Romero was really blown away by it. Yeah, you're right. The reason that that's on my mind is because I watched it with uh, Amanda. And she's a big horror fan. I'm not. She was watching it, and initially she was annoyed because everybody was acting stupid. And that was her big reason that she'd not seen it until then. Then you get to about the halfway mark where, A, it starts to become clear that the decision to go to the bar, which is, after all, the central point of the movie, is these characters are trying to get through the zombie apocalypse to a bar. Where's safe? Where's familiar? Where can I smoke? Take car, go to Mum's, kill Phil. Sorry. Grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! You start to realize that, hey, that's actually a really brilliant decision, because they're barricaded, they have supplies. I mean, it's actually a legitimately smart decision. And B, the movie knows that these characters are acting stupid, and they suffer for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, do they? God. One thing I'm surprised that I'm not annoyed by with this movie is that the last part, like the last act, gets really dark. It's and very dark. 
and there are there are very few laughs. Like the laughs get less and less as it gets toward the end. I mean, they, it flares up again, you know, at the end. But that's something I am very surprised and not annoyed by, because you know, by all accounts, tonally, I should I should be pissed at that. It just does it so well, and you're so invested in these characters that yeah. Well, you're not annoyed by it because the movie takes the zombie apocalypse seriously. Oh yeah. I mean. The gore effects are brilliant on it. You know, they're grotesque. The movie doesn't laugh at the zombies. It laughs at how the characters react to the zombies, but the shot where he's walking, where Sean is walking through the town, and it's just been absolutely wiped out. I mean, that's a that's a pretty harrowing scene. It's really eerie. Are you, are you talking about, like, the morning after yes. it happens? Yeah. I mean, that's a scene that would hold up in any zombie movie as being effective because it conveys the tone perfectly oh yeah what's really great especially you know toward the beginning is that this is a guy who is so wrapped up in his life and just so down on his luck and just so you know involved that he doesn't even notice initially when the when the zombie apocalypse happens like he notices a few things but you know like the the guy biting off the pigeon's head, but his attention is snapped back to, you know, what what he's doing at the moment, and he kind of forgets about it. So it's 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 brilliantly set up. It's a very honest film. It's 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 a very eerie and creepy film. It also helps the characters in it are really well fleshed out. Oh yes. I I think we need to talk about uh, the relationship between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost because that is a a key theme that runs through these movies. That's another thing we didn't mention. Nick Frost is in Spaced as Simon's best friend. That was, I think, that was his first acting job. Yeah, it was. It's amazing because you know, on on the set of Spaced, when Edgar would give out notes to the actors, you know, every time he'd give a note to Nick, Nick would write back to him, "Okay, you know that I am not an actor, right?" <laughs> well, that's been uh, that's been disproven nicely. Um, yes. But I mean, yeah, the, the whole the whole reason that uh, Frost got into acting in the first place was well because of Peg. Because no surprise, they uh, really are that close, apparently. It seems to be a theme when we do, like, these director casts. Have you noticed? They're right-hand men. And not surprisingly, uh, uh, Kevin Smith and uh, Edgar Wright have uh, gotten along quite well, from what I understand. Oh, yeah. I think think Kevin Smith actually does uh, one of the space commentaries on the American edition. Yeah. But... Yeah, uh, there. So you know, there is that theme running through these. Uh, that yeah, that friendship. I mean, that's that's the thing. Shaun of the Dead not only is a really good horror movie in one level, it's also a really good romantic comedy with some very real points being made. Yeah, they actually they actually build it as a zombie rom com. Zombie rom com. It's just effective. The, the the relationship that's set up, the the dialogue that runs through this the movie and. The way that everything plays out, it just, it works. This movie, it just, it, it's very effective to me, because as I said, I'm not a horror fan, but I bought this one on DVD. Same. And, and it holds up. I mean, as I said, I watched it with Amanda just a couple of months ago, and it, it holds up great. You said you, uh, you had mentioned that you actually had a funny story with each of Edgar Wright's movies? Yes. Story the first is probably the least funny and uh, interesting of all of them. Uh, the day that I went to see Shaun of the Dead, I had a terrible flu, and uh, nearly got myself killed driving to the theater. Oh, good lord. Well, I actually have two stories. Uh, th- yeah, that one, I, like, I drove onto an off-ramp trying to get there. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ouch. Story the second is that for my dorm's uh, costume contest, I uh, went as Shaun. <laughs> nice. And nobody had any idea who the hell I was. <laughs> In fact, one person said to me casually, I hope you don't take offense to this, but you kind of look like that guy from that movie. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I don't take offense to looking like the character I'm trying to do. Oh, and the kicker, I won anyway. Nice. I put effort into it. Did anybody at all at least say you've got red on you? No, because nobody, nobody <sighs> had seen the movie. Nobody had seen the movie at that point. I was the only one who would seen it. At, well, I may have been the only person on that campus that had seen the movie. Oh, damn. That's too bad. That's too bad. I promise you if I was trying to do it now, everybody would get the reference, though, because, again, it took off on video so well. I remember uh, going into my philosophy class at the time. You know, the teacher would open every session with, you know, just some small talk. 
one day came it's like, hey, did anybody see Shaun of the Dead? Like that right after it came out on DVD, Skyrim people are like, yeah, yeah. It's like, isn't that wasn't that great? It's just so refreshing. That was cool. It's one that I'm, I'm glad has penetrated the culture, and I'm glad that it has become this at least genre classic. I, mean, I, I gotta ask, did you see it in theaters? No, unfortunately, I didn't. I will, however. <laughs> I will say, it it looks very good on big screen. To draw the conversation to write, his style of filming, even in that film, when he, I mean, he was working with a tiny budget, that film is cheap. It doesn't really look it. No, it doesn't. And partially that's because of the quality of cast that he was drawing. I mean, if, if you've got Bill Nighy in your movie, you're at least going to get some level of quality. Oh yeah, there's there's an all-star cast in there. Martin Freeman is hidden in there. Yeah, blink and you'll miss him, literally. Yeah, like I, I wrote on uh, website of Doom, I wrote up the uh, World's End trailer, and uh, Martin Freeman is part of the principal cast on that, on my first uh, draft that I ended up publishing. So it's great to see, I can't believe that Martin Freeman and Edgar Wright haven't worked together before. And then, upon further research, like, oh, oh yeah, Martin Freeman was in both Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. So I had to go back and amend it. And he's way more noticeable in uh, Hot Fuzz. The camera actually focuses on him and he actually has dialogue. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's still kind of a cameo, but yeah. It's a cameo, but it's, it's more than a blinker, you'll miss it. I mean, he's in it. But yeah, Freeman... I mean, it, he's in it, uh, Nye's in it, Lucy Davis from the UK office is in it. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, J- Jessica Stevenson is even in it. Yeah, sh- she's in it, uh, she has a nice small part, sort of as the female uh, counterpart to Sean. She's she's good, she's good. And as I said, yeah, it looks great on the big screen. I, I saw it at the Rave, and, you know, nice big theater, it, it, it looked good, it played good, um, the film, it's, good. it's a good movie. I mean, what more is there to say? Next film on the list is Hot Fuzz. Yeah, this is one that I uh, geeked over for like months beforehand. Like, I, I geeked about it so much. I was on the View Askew boards at the time, and uh, there, there's a really cool guy named Gavin. His handle is Tears and Rain. I don't know if he's still there or not. Probably. He uh, worked at a movie theater in Maine. And he's like, I noticed that you're that you're really excited for Hot Fuzz. Would would you like it if I sent you a, a theater grade poster? Nice. And it's like, ah, yes. Thanks to that guy. And if you're listening, thank you so much. I still I still appreciate it. I still have it. I love it. Yeah, I have a theater grade Hot Fuzz poster. Like it has the reverse image on the back of it, so light can shine through. And it's huge and awesome. That's great. That's that's great. Um, and it's and it's the awesome uh, like it's the it's the one the poster where they're walking away from an explosion. The yeah. American poster. Of course, a scene that it should be noted does not happen in the film even remotely. No, but still, in fact, it, there's even a fake out where they think it's going to happen. I love the hell out of Hot Fuzz. I did see that in theaters twice. I did too. The um, experience the first time was made more intense because I actually had to go to the bathroom really bad and I don't mean number one. Oh, crap. So the last half hour I was just like, oh, this is so awesome and ah! <laughs> and that's bad because that last half hour is just sheer adrenaline. It was. I mean, it in a weird way, it almost heightened the experience. <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but I mean, the on-the-edge-of-the-seat thing was literal. <sighs> I, <laughs> I, 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 I can say that the first time that I saw it, I guess my, my story for this one is that that's one of my favorite theater experiences I've ever had. Oh, nice. Because, yeah, you can go into a movie like The Avengers or Iron Man where obviously the audience is going to be excited because you've got a previously existing fan base walking in. 
But with a movie like this, even with the fan base for Shaun of the Dead, it's still not a huge fan base. And this is the sophomore film, too. Yeah. There was no sophomore slump here. No, no, there was not. It's not even coming up on the next one. There's this sense while you're watching the, the movie that because there's not a previously existing fan base, for a movie like that, if it's going to really excite the crowd, it has to excite the crowd on the grounds of just these people are excited by the movie itself. And that movie, the audience was roaring and rolling and just, it was a sold out crowd too. I mean, oh, nice. I can't even begin to describe it. It was, the audience was losing it for that movie, especially in that last act because it, it does turn so action packed and exciting and fun and the audience lost their shit. It was it was a great experience, and it's a movie I've seen multiple times since then. As a side, I went back and saw it a couple weeks later in the theater, and it held up. It's just a, it's just a damn good movie. Oh, but the the other half of that uh, experience with the first viewing, like I had the opposite. Like it was it was a great it, the first viewing was a great experience, but for kind of the wrong reasons. Because uh, what also happened, like it was, it was a smaller crowd in a smaller theater. It was a nice little intimate group, like of older people, of younger people. But they they ended up leaving the house lights on. Oh, that's hell. That is hell. I mean, it, that that part kind of. But the here's the thing about it, though. Uh, the movie started, and nobody wanted to get up out of their seats to tell the theater that the house lights were on. So they stayed on for the duration, but. The thing that ended up happening with that is that you could see everybody, and everybody was really enjoying the film. It was a nice, intimate experience. It was—it actually ended up being kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, that's for you know all the wrong reasons. But what what should have been like just a really shitty experience from a shitty theater actually ended up being kind of cool. That's that's right. Yeah, I mean, so something came out of that. Everybody just enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think when I when it first came out on uh, DVD, I did hold out for a special edition. But the first time I rented it, I saw it seven times before returning it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. If we're going to talk about this movie, I gotta, I gotta ask you, have you seen Bad Boys 2, which this movie liberally lifts from? Point Break or Bad Boys 2? Which one do you think I prefer? No, I mean, which one do you want to watch first? You are pulling my leg. I haven't. I've been. I actually recently thought about that. It's like you know, I better do that. I have. I have seen Point Break. Well, Point Break, which actually comes from an Oscar-winning director, believe it or not. Seriously, Catherine Bigelow directed that. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Point Break's known to at least be a solid film. It's at least known to be a legitimately good film on the merits that it asks to be. I saw Bad Boys Two in a theater. <laughs> oh boy. No, if you're wondering, it was not my original idea. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, no, I did not like it. Why? Michael Bay. Yeah, but l let me interject here that I'm not immediately anti-Michael Bay. I just saw Pain and Gain and really loved it. But this this movie is just, oh, it's, it's a terrible, offensive motion picture on every level. It assaults your senses. But they lifted it heavily for Hot Fuzz. And that's what makes that movie at least worth existing. That's funny. Like, they, they heavily acknowledge that part of it. Right, this shit just got real. What's funny is that Edgar Wright actually tried to show an audience the, the double feature of Point Break and Bad Boys 2, but Bad Boys 2 is the longer film. It's two and a half hours long. Yeah, Point Break is like maybe an hour and a half. You know, someone pointed out to him, it's like, yeah, when you're showing a double feature, show the shorter film last, because people will get listless, and they did. Oops. You don't need to be watching the double feature for that. Trust me, I I was I was just sitting there going, when's this damn thing gonna end? But again, and it, it, it's funny because Wright, very much his directorial style very much fits with an homage for that because he does a lot of the spin moves, you know, the spin shots that you see. A lot of the rapid cuts that he does fit nicely with a parody of Michael Bay films. Oh yeah. I have to mention that uh, for those who haven't seen Hot Fuzz, it is to buddy cop movies as Shaun of the Dead is to horror movies. It is. It very much plays with the genre, and it is a legitimate buddy cop movie. Uh, so much so that the original drafts of the script actually had a love interest for uh, Nicholas Angel written in 
the further they went, the more they realized, well, this isn't really, this doesn't really need that. This is more of the bromance between Angel and Danny Betterman. So they nixed the love interest and gave most of her lines to Danny. And you can tell. Yes. It's not like it's subtle. It's not like the movie just kind of makes that clear. No. I mean, it's obvious. And it's hilarious. And it so works. It works. It does work. Again, the real-life chemistry between Peg and Frost really comes through here. It's just, it's such a goofy way of approaching it. I should note that the film also manages to be a great reference to the style of movie that I find unbelievably uh, patronizing. The uh, person from the big city who comes to a small town and comes to fall in love with its charms. Oh, yeah. I mean, once again, they're playing with a very British genre and just absolutely eviscerating it and just destroying it. What's really funny is that most of the most of the villagers are actually old action stars. Some really legendary actors are in it. Um, the one that's going to be the most recognizable, of course, is Timothy Dalton. Oh, yes, James Bond. But he plays a character who is so obviously written as the villain that it's hilarious and he's great at it i mean dalton steals every scene he's in what's funny is that after after she was over you know he told edgar it's like well, th thank you i actually had more fun in this movie than i had in any of the bond movies and i believe that he's like yes the thing about it is you can tell that the people making this movie were having a great time I mean, it's it's very it's very obvious from the first frame. And one of the things I really love about the movie, uh, I showed this to a cop friend of mine, because he always was griping about how in police movies they never show paperwork. They never show the actual work that cops do. So I said, here, yeah. watch this. Because that was deliberately something that they do, is they show all of the tedious parts of being a cop. Police work is as much about preventing crime as it is about fighting crime. Most importantly, it is about procedural correctness in the execution of unquestionable moral authority. Any questions? Yes. Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? Uh, the best part of that is that yeah, they do it with, like, all the fast cuts. and. Well, what's funny about it is the way that he uses that stuff, it's almost always on things that are incredibly mundane. Oh, yeah. You get these these fast, rapid cuts of a guy buying flowers. Guy brushing his teeth, getting ready for his day at work. It's, it's a very heightened realism that fits and makes the humor that much stronger because in your mind you're like, okay, this is a lot about nothing. But it's funny. It, it, it's 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 laugh out loud funny. So yeah, I think Edgar and Simon actually have a similar story to that. You know about police complaining that they never show yeah like the real police work, the paperwork, and all that good stuff. That's that's what I've read. And just the methodical. Yeah, I mean it really is entertaining to see that, and it, it makes for a much better commentary. I mean this is very much a movie that's reacting to the police movies. You know, it's a social commentary on those, while at the same time, it's a love letter. I mean, it, it has to be. You, you you can't really parody something well unless you deeply love it. Oh, yeah. You hear that? What's their names? Uh, Feldman and... Seltzer and Friedberg. Seltzer and Friedberg, yeah, you hear that, guys? We're really making them our whipping boys of late, and that's fine, because they deserve every bit of it. Oh, God, yeah. Gone are the days of Millbrook, unfortunately. But, yeah, these movies... And, again... I don't know. It's it's hard to say that these days are behind us when we're talking about a prime example right here that's only six years old. Yeah, true. And there's little reason to think that the world's end, which we'll be getting to uh, in a bit, we've got one big obstacle ahead of us. There's little reason to think that's going to be any different. Um, oh, no. I, I expect every bit from that as I do from uh, these two. But what's funny is if you watch the DVD features and see how they write these films... Uh, they basically have a giant sketchbook that they that they just plot everything out on, and it's like fleshing out fleshing out the story, the characters. Really, the final film is not m too much different from what's on those sketch pads. Like I'm sure they, you know, flesh it out a little bit before they have it on the notepad. But 
It's, it's, it's funny actually looking at this. When you look back at the Shaun of the Dead uh, flip chart, we, we really were six years younger because there was all things like Edgar is gay written on it and all bootylicious and things like that. This nah, seems like serious. Serious, pretty much. I think that's pretty common though for writers. You know, writers don't write in an orderly manner because ideas don't come to you in an orderly manner. Um, oh no, it's, it's all piecemeal. It is. And it's best when you just embrace that and work with it. It's all chaos, and then you make order out of it uh, later through the process. Yeah. Now, um, um, any more thoughts on Hot Fuzz? No, except the last half hour is like the best is the best last act of any movie I've ever seen. It, it, it's really up there. I, I just it it it's it, it's great. It's it's a slice of fried gold, if you will. So now it's time to get redundant. talked a little about Scott Pilgrim versus the world in the adaptation cast. You know, last time we talked about the adaptation aspect of it, this time we'll just talk about the film. It's such a dense movie. It moves so fast and quick. It's breathless and every line is priceless. It's really something. Obviously, as I pointed out last time, I really love this movie. Um, yeah, I still really love this movie. It's an interesting case because it is a an American film done by a British director, uh, or from a Canadian comic written by an Asian-Canadian cartoonist. There's a weird mix going on there. Yeah, unfortunately this one, I don't know how well Shaun the Dead or Hot Fuzz did in theater. I assume they did pretty well. They both turned very healthy profits, yeah. Especially with international numbers. Oh, oh yeah, because it those those two came out in Britain before they came out here. Yes, yeah, the U.S. release was more of a token. Exactly, and I'm sh I think the World's End actually does it does it release simultaneously or has it come out already? I think it's already come out in the U.K., but it's not as early. Ah, bastard! Hot Fuzz came out on Valentine's Day. Yeah, and it didn't come out until late April in the U.S. <sighs> yeah, I was so jealous. I'm, I'm jealous now. Yeah, unfortunately, Scott Pilgrim flopped hard. But again, as I think I cited last time, it's not a case where everybody involved in it walks away and is like upset the movie didn't do well. They're more grateful for the fact that they got to make it. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it exists, and gee, it's actually, it actually has a cult following. It does. But now is where we get to get a little bit personal and tell a fun, funny story because, uh... <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> Al and I did not know each other when uh, the first two films came out, but uh, we had just really uh, met a few months earlier online and we're communicating. And um, so the way that it goes is it was a Wednesday afternoon in July. I had gone to a comic shop in Little Rock and I thought they had passes to see the movie early. And I was excited because, ooh, that would be an awesome movie to see early, but I worried that it might be on a day that I couldn't get off. Well, the date on the passes was the date in question. It was that very day. It was later that night. Just right place, right time. Right place, right time. I was going to go see Despicable Me that day, um, which I did wind up doing. I just immediately was like, that's it, all of my plans were cancelled, everything I had to do, because I didn't have to work that night. So I called my friend Lauren, who, a uh, good friend of mine, Lauren, if you're listening, hi, and I said, get into Little Rock now, I've got passes to go see it for free, early, because it was two and a half weeks before the movie came out. And uh, then, of course, I proceeded to slam uh, my co-host here with messages uh, bragging. And boasting that I got to see it early. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm still a little jealous <laughs> that you got to, because that's one that I've been like I, I became a Scott Pilgrim fan, like a fan of the comic uh, in 2008 when I saw that Edgar Wright was directing a movie of it. Same situation here. Oh yeah, very interested in what Edgar Wright was going to do next. Like, what the hell, is Scott Pilgrim? Is that some sort of like historical thing? You know, from the tagline, I was sold. Guy must defeat uh, his girlfriend's seven evil exes. Like, oh, that sounds pretty damn interesting. So, you know, two two years of waiting for the movie, <laughs> and you got to see it early. It was right place, right time. It was just a sheer fluke that I was able to do it. But you know what? I'm glad I did. Because 
obviously I had a great time. The movie lived up to my every expectation. As, as much as you rubbed it in, uh, it was very, very good to hear that the film was going to be excellent. It's a unique, weird movie. I will make this argument. Maybe Universal could have toned down the early screenings a bit. From what I understand, they screened it a lot. So, virtually anybody who wanted to see it got the chance to see it early, with some exceptions. But maybe I maybe they could have scaled that one back a bit because uh, I didn't I didn't wind up paying to see it again until the dollar theater. I'm a busy film goer. There's only so many movies I can see. I did make up for some of the uh, bombing by seeing it four times before it went out in the theater. That's that's my record. I aimed to, like I think before that it was three times, and that, that was held by the Lord of the Rings movies, by two of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, worth it. Worth it. Oh yes, very. And uh, yeah, I did want to set my record with this one. I saw it once for every week it was out. Good. That does make up a little bit. It does. I'm, as I said, it's just a movie that I thoroughly enjoy. It's experimental, right? plays with the medium so well. It really does feel like a comic book on film. It does. It actually manages to have like the thump wood yeah. effects without calling like 60s Batman into mind. Yeah, even if it did, that wouldn't be the worst thing. It has, you know, there's there's captions. I mean, it's, it's a movie that plays with the form. And I gotta point out, the critic for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, an excellent newspaper, which I uh, have a great deal of love for, Gave it one of the most scathing reviews I've ever read. I just read that review going, I wish I had written it. Did we see the same same film? (laughs) I wish I'd written it. I would have given it a way higher score than he would have because it was just, it was such a wrong-headed review. It was one of the most galling reviews I've read, but it's, it's a really, it's just an awesome movie. It's so much fun. It's so vibrant in the cast. This is... Yes. That's such a great cast. Michael Sarah, you know, who I guess a lot of people, when that was announced, were like, Michael Sarah, really? You know, I for one was going, what? That's perfect. And here's the thing. A lot of people have really burned out on Sarah. I'm not one of them. With one exception being year one, which I didn't see, I really think he's chosen his film roles really well. Superbad, uh, just before Pilgrim came out. I still haven't seen it, but the, um... What's the what's the one where he uh, has multiple personality? Uh, Youth and Revolt. Youth and Revolt. Yeah, I still haven't seen it, but that looked excellent. It's, yeah, that's one that I really wish more people had seen. It's really out there. It's weird. It's unique. It's it's a good movie. So that's one that yeah, if you're listening to this, get the chance. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist was another one that I think made people think, oh well, you can only do one kind of movie. And, yeah, he plays to type in it a lot, but it's a really good movie. And he's really well cast in it, and, I mean, it hardly hurts that he's playing against uh, Kat Dennings, who I'll watch her in anything. Yeah, I mean, but uh, Anna Kendrick plays his sister. Uh, who I was surprised to later learn that she's in all the Twilight movies. Here's the thing. If you watch her in those movies, though, she clearly is just looking around like, I, I cannot believe this crap that I'm dealing with. <laughs> it's true. She plays one of the friends. She is good in that, though. And she's she's perfect in this. 17 years old, scandal. That's not true. Who told you? Wallace, duh. That gossipy bitch. You know me. Wallace! And, oh god, somebody who is just pitch perfect is Aubrey Plaza uh, as Julie. She is Julie. Yeah, she nails it. I don't know what it is about that girl. Scott, I forbid you from hitting on Ramona. Even if you haven't had a real girlfriend in over a year. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Scott's morning period is officially over. He's totally dating a high schooler. Dating a high schooler is the morning period. Which, I mean, I, I, I'm a huge Parks and Recreation fan and... Oh yeah, I became one after. Yeah, Plaza's just... She's wonderful. Uh, in her brief part. You know, the guys, everybody who plays the exes, I mean, they're all great. Yeah, both Captain America and Thor are, are No, exes not Thor, Superman. Superman, yeah. Yeah, Superman. Brandon Captain Ralph. Captain America and Superman. Yeah, Brandon Ralph. Uh, Thomas James, one of the vegan police. Uh, remind me who he is. Like, I, I... The 2004 Punisher. Oh, okay. 
And then uh, Clifton Collins Jr. was the other one who was, he's just in everything. So, um, and, but I mean, really, if we're going to talk about any of the females in the film, we've got to address Ellen Wong and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the love interests. You really went out with this guy? Yeah. In the seventh grade. And? And? It was football season, and for some reason, all the little jocks wanted me. Matthew was the only non-white, non-jock boy in town. So the two of us joined forces, and we took them all down. We brawled and scrapped and fought for hours. Nothing could beat Matthew's mystical powers. We only kissed once. After a week and a half, told him to hit the showers. Dude, wait. Mystical powers? You'll pay for this! Flowers! If you Oh yes. Mary Elizabeth Winston is one that I first saw in Death Proof. She was the cheerleader. I have to cite Sky High, which was not very good, but she was good in it. Yeah. Not a good movie, but she's excellent in it. But yeah, she, she's good in this. Apparently she went through the movie uh, with a serious back problem. It doesn't show. No, it really doesn't. She she acted her ass off. She was even in like the stunt harnesses with that. She's finally, by the way, starting to get some traction in her career. She had a film last year that really earned her a lot of uh, buzz. Uh, I'm glad to see it because she's an actress I really do like. I haven't seen Long in anything since, but she's good. Was she in anything? Uh, has she been in anything before? I, I don't know. I think so, but she's done like a few small parts here and there since, but. She's really good as Knives. She's really adorable, and you, you really pull for her. Yeah, she, she's she's a perfect Knives. Like, she's you know, innocent. She uh, matures a lot through the film. And, uh, um, yeah, just, just, just has the right amount of naivete. Oh, my God! He's dating a baddest hipster chick. I hate her stupid guts! He only likes her because she's old. She's probably like 25. Oh, she's just a fat-ass white girl, you know? I think you mentioned she was fat. It's worth noting that for all the hype about her age, she was actually older than uh, Michael Sarah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my god. I, I did not know that. Yeah. Just kind of an interesting little casting bit there. Um, I just, I don't know, this is one that I really, this is a movie that makes me happy. It's a movie that's fun. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't care about being plausible. It it's just a fun movie. I'm just damn glad it exists. I think that's all that I can say. I said this on the last cast, and I'll bring it up again. If you're a fan of the books, you immediately owe it to yourself to watch the movie. If you love the movie, read the books. I mean, it's really not an either-or situation. It you really need to do both because both will enrich your experience of the other. They, they complement each other very well. Films in constant midnight uh, screenings, and... Just recently, like two two or three months ago, the Alamo Draft House here in Kansas City uh, ran it with a live sex bob bomb. Yeah. Now, I know that uh, right now, Mally goes in midnights all the time. And he, he's real proud of it, too. And that's the thing. I, I've mentioned this before. If you're going to have a flop, just... Be proud of the movie that you've made. If you, if you truly are happy with it, be proud of it, regardless of the audience. I don't know. I, I guess I get annoyed when... And I know that this is not the first time I've brought this up. But I get annoyed when directors act as if the box office determines everything. Sure, it's probably going to determine your ability to get future work. But you know, I can't help but notice that directors like Wright, who have flop movies... Uh, Joss Whedon came off of a pretty... Serenity just barely squeaked into black, and it didn't cost much money at all. Uh, Brad Bird had an epic, money-bleeding disaster with the the Iron Giant, which now that I've said that, I think pretty much everybody is gonna like gulp and be shocked because I have a feeling pretty much everybody who's listening to this has seen that movie multiple times, myself included. Oh, it's genius! I've only seen it once, but I I. I want to see it again. I mean, that movie was a monstrous flop, but Pixar still picked him up and uh, gave him work because uh, they knew that he was worth it, and 
sure enough, birds kept working ever since. And, you know, my point is that if, if you're good enough, someone's going to notice you and you'll get another shot. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is going to work after Pacific Rim. Although that's not really a flop, that's making money. It, just not domestically. Uh, but, you know, I mean, with this, with Scott Pilgrim, it was a weird movie. I'm glad Universal took the chance on it. Did it reap dividends? Nah. But you know what? Someone's always going to take a chance. This summer, we've seen a lot of movies that were quote-unquote sure things that have not done their business. Uh, White House Down, The Lone Ranger, After Earth. Okay, maybe not so much After Earth, but... You know, with White House Down and The Lone Ranger, these were movies that looked good on paper. They they looked like locks on paper. The Smurfs 2 is underperforming big time. <laughs> I wondered. I mean, it's actually underperforming compared to what they were expecting. Uh, it's barely doing turbo numbers, and that was an underperformer. So, you know, sure, there's no such thing as a sure thing. And Sadly, it seems to be a, uh, a theme this summer. Lots of movies underperforming, yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the movies haven't been very good. You know, do you think? Do you really think it's an accident that the film that's performed the biggest was Iron Man three, which happened to be the movie that the most people were walking out of happy over? I will say that it should be noted that Wright was working with, by far and away, his most professional crew that he's ever worked with. People who, Bill Pope. Yes, yes, Bill Pope, the cinematographer on the Spider-Man films. I mean, he was working with people who had shot, and who had made bigger films and Wright doesn't seem his style really adjusted to the bigger budget I think it was uh, it's rumored to be like 60 million which is not too bad especially compared to some of the like 100 million ones today one thing I do want to bring up is the special effects like they're very comic booky and it feels like an updated version of last week we talked about Howard the Duck and how that had good effects like it, it felt like that type of 80s effects, like Ghostbusters, and, but updated. It felt right. Which I'm sure was the point. Yeah, there's not so much realism in it as much as it is expressionism. Oh, very much. Very much so. Um, I loved I loved that there were, uh, uh, like, the flashbacks and all that were, were uh, like, kind of comic book animated. Like, not fully animated, but just, like, comic book frames. Mm-hmm. Like a motion comic. The one-up that appears looks like Scott's face in the comic. You know, it was very much embracing its comic roots. The movie begins with an 8-bit version of the Universal logo. Yes. Which is amazing. It, it's it's great. It's really effective. There's a lot of use of the, Zel the sound effects from Zelda games. Mm -hmm. Like video games in general, but mostly Zelda. And that just that feels appropriate. I mean, it's a love letter to the 80s, and it's just a ton of fun. It's another strange hybrid. It's another genre hybrid. I can't help but notice that he really likes genre hybrids. Oh, yeah. And this is very anime. Yeah, anime, comic book, video game. It's a weird film. It's not for everybody. I've known a lot of people who didn't like it, and my response is, yeah, that's okay. I understand why you didn't like it. Oh, God, yeah. But I think, yeah, last time you mentioned that he put aside his style a little bit. I'm not so sure that's true. Because, I mean, this this is, I think it's been mentioned, this is uh, the closest thing that we're ever going to see to a Space Series 3. I still see Wright's style, but I do, I, I agree that it is a little bit muted in places. It's more that the material itself, he's adapting to the material. That's true. That's true. He is incorporating another style into his own. But, I mean, there's still this, there's still a lot of the same shot choices, still a lot of the same transitions. Like, it's funny, on the lead-up to the movie, like, if you, if you follow, if you don't follow Brian Lee O'Malley on Twitter, do. He is very entertaining. He is. He tweets just like he writes his comics. It's all, like, short, like, almost non-sequitur Lots things. of non-sequiturs. People are asking him questions about the movie. He's like, what, what do you think the movie will be like? He's like, I don't know. I imagine it will have a lot of whip pans. Hmm. <laughs> he wasn't wrong. He wasn't, he wasn't wrong at all. Here's the thing I love about Wallace. is He's something that you don't usually see in movies. He's a gay character. He's the gay best friend. First of all, he's not particularly flamboyant. He's fairly masculine. He doesn't have any of the stereotypical behavior. And he's not celibate. No. Oh, God, no. He's promiscuous. 
which is another stereotype in and of itself. But you know what? We don't see the other stereotype very often, so I'm kind of grateful for it. We don't see it as often, and also the movie calls him out on it. You have to break up with knives. A poor angel. Today. But it's hard. If you don't, I'm going to tell Ramona about knives. I swear to God, Scott. What? Hey, morning. Hey, Jimmy. Double standard. I didn't make up the gay rule book. You got a problem with it? Stop. Pick it up with Liberace's ghost. And yet he sleeps with like two or three different men in the movie. I mean, it's a movie that does have fun with what it's trying to say. It... Yeah, I think we've we've uh, covered Scott Pilgrim fairly well. I'm sure I'm sure it'll come up again, but it has to with us. Well, I mean, the world's end opens in a couple weeks. It involves aliens. That's as much as we know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a pub crawl. They go back to their to the town they grew up in for to uh, to a famous pub crawl, and they're going and it ends with the world's end pub, and they get fight aliens, and it's gonna be great. Yeah, it looks good. I think we should briefly touch on uh, what Wright will be doing next mm. after the world. Yes. End. Ant-Man, that's been in the works for a while, too. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're if you're going to be a genre blender, there's no place better to work for than Marvel Studios. It's that, That's going to be a great one. I cannot wait. They showed some test footage at last year's Comic-Con. Uh, somebody, to the best of their memory, uh, actually did some sketches and made like a, a makeshift animatic for memory of what they saw in that test footage. The footage has leaked. Oh, it did? It's leaked, yeah. The footage is out there. Okay, I haven't seen that. It's out there if you look hard enough, is the best way to put it. Ah, okay. I might try to find it and post it. Like, if it's a torrent, I won't post it, but... It's out there. I've seen it. It's good. It's good footage. That'll hit November 2015. Yeah, I think that's our right cast. Yep. Pretty good. Yep. Yeah, that's one that I wanted to do for a while. Where are we doing next? Next up, we're, uh... We're going to take on an interesting topic. Neither of us are horror movie fans. Nope. But, let's face it, horror is huge. We aren't horror fans, but we are film fans, and there are good horror movies out there. So we're going to take a look at some good horror movies, if you're not a big horror fan. That's the theme of this next cast. Horror for the non-horror fan. Yeah. And I'll say this, some of the movies that we're going to bring up are very much horror movies that come up in terms of great horror. I'll just spoil it right now. The Exorcist is coming up. Oh yeah, that's one that I've been putting off seeing for a long time, but I've been told by multiple people multiple times I need to see it. I'm going to finally sit down and watch it. I really look forward to your reaction to it, because there's a lot to discuss there. The Exorcist is a legitimately great movie. But that's one movie that we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about a few others. We're going to talk about what is horror. We're going to talk about well, where does the line get drawn? So that's that's next. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. I encourage you to do so. Uh, we post news. We post film reactions to current films. Uh, both of us do. Facebook.com slash thefilmroom. You can find us on Twitter at filmroomcast. We retweet lots of film-related things. Uh, every time I edit a cast, I kind of sort of live-tweet it. You can find us on our individual Twitters, where we talk about film and other things. You are at Untitled User. I'm at PrimitiveManPRD. If you're finding us on iTunes, you can find our blog, where you can find the supplemental material and source, thefilmroom.podbean.com. Yeah, so watch the Blood and Ice Cream Trilogy. See the world's end. Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye.